This is Rabbi Sharon Brouse, Rabbi Adi Kar, where we're dedicated to reinvigorating Jewish community, ritual, and learning, all while laying the foundation for a just and loving society. You're listening to Ikar's podcast, where you can hear our sermons from Shabbat and holidays, our teachings, our guest speakers, basically anything we think worth hearing that we can capture and stream, you can listen to right here. The whole Megillah. I mean, literally, the whole Megillah. So thank you so much for being with us. Shabbat Shalom, everyone. Mazel tov again to Hazel and the whole family on an extraordinary bat mitzvah. Soon all grapes will be sweet grapes again, exclaimed an optimistic Cesar Chavez after 26 grape growers signed labor contracts with the United Farm Workers in July of 1970. It was five years earlier that the Delano grape strike began when over a thousand Filipino farm workers walked off the vineyards in protest of substandard working conditions and the dollar twenty an hour wage they were receiving, twenty cents lower than the federal minimum wage. But the strike was immediately endangered when the grape growers hired Mexican farm workers to cross the picket line, a tactic commonly used to create conflict and reinforce divisions amongst minorities. So to prevent the strike from failing, the strikers approached Cesar Chavez and the predominantly Mexican National Farm Workers Association to discuss joining forces. Eight days later, the united fight for farm labor justice had begun. Two years into the strike, the newly formed United Farm Workers Union called for a consumer boycott of California table grapes that didn't bear the seal of the UFW. The consumer boycott, Chavez said, is the only open door in the dark corridor of nothingness down which farm workers have had to walk for many years. It is a gate of hope through which they expect to find the sunlight of a better life for themselves and for their families. Calling on individuals, organizations, and faith-based communities to participate in the consumer boycott, many identify this moment as the turning point in the strike. I want to highlight two of the Jewish communal responses, among others in the Jewish community and, of course, beyond, that heeded his call. The Union of American Hebrew Congregations, now known as the URJ, the Union for Reform Judaism, passed a resolution stating, these grape grape pickers, amongst the poorest working people in our land of plenty, have appealed to the conscience of the country to support them in their desperate struggle to secure a collective bargaining agreement with the growers of table grapes. We cannot stay indifferent to their appeal nor to the right of other farm workers to a fair share of the fruit of their labors. And the Massachusetts Board of Rabbis passed a resolution, quote, urging all congregations to consider California table grapes to be unfit for use in synagogues and in religious Jewish homes because of the biblical and Talmudic injunctions against Oshek, the oppression of a hired worker. Soon all grapes will be sweet grapes again, but look at what it took to get there. I want to explore today the warning our tradition issues about a society that fails to protect the dignity of labor and laborers. 
The central command addressed to the employer is found in this week's Parsha. It's known as Oshek, which you just heard cited as a motivating value by the Massachusetts Board of Rabbis in their resolution. Do not oppress the hired laborer who is poor and needy, whether he is one of your people or one of the sojourners in your land within your gates. Give him his wages in the daytime, and do not let the sun set on him, for he is poor and his life depends on them. Lest he cry out to God about you, for this will be counted as a sin against you. What scenario is the Torah worried about? Right, imagine an employer who contracts a day laborer to work for him. He promises him a specific amount in return for his work, but when the workday has ended and the worker comes to collect his due, the employer withholds compensation. Fearing that scenario, the Torah commands the employer to pay out the owed wages at the end of the day before the sun sets. Because, and now the text hones in on the tremendous power imbalance between the two parties. The worker's life depends on these wages. This paycheck can spell the difference between life and death. Nachmanides, in his commentary on this verse, says it clearly. Quote, the employer must pay the worker as soon as he finishes work because the worker has staked his life and the lives of his wife and children upon this wage to buy food to sustain them. And then Nachmanides says something very interesting. It's almost as if he's anticipating that the reader will look at these verses more than a century later and say, this isn't relevant in our day. We don't deal with day laborers. Well, our poor aren't that poor. He writes, The way of the text is to speak in the present tense. Meaning, and I thank Rabbi Jill Jacobs for pointing this out, the Torah is citing an example of Oshek, of oppressing a laborer, that speaks to the economic context and concerns of its generation. But paying workers on time is only one way of fulfilling the more general commandment, do not oppress the hired laborer. It's up to each generation, like Hazel said, assessing the economic landscape and the threats to workers' rights and dignity to define and redefine what constitutes Oshek. And so, with this in mind, I'd like to turn to the present day. Now, this could be a sermon about wage theft, which is perhaps the clearest and closest example of the Torah's definition of Oshek. We could speak about how employers' failure to pay overtime, tip stealing, misclassification of employees, and illegal deductions taken from paychecks add up to $50 billion in wages that are stolen from workers every year nationwide. That's $34 billion more than the value of all of the robberies, burglaries, larcenies, and motor vehicle thefts in the nation combined. We could talk about the prevalence of wage theft in specific industries, like garment manufacturing and domestic services. 
where according to a recent UCLA study, overtime violations in LA County took earned money out of the pockets of close to 80% of the workers. And we could speak about how in Los Angeles, foreign-born Latino women had the highest statistical rate of minimum wage and overtime pay violation, or that nearly 50% of workers who made complaints or attempted to organize in response to worker violations reported that they received retaliation from their employer as a result. This is OSHEC. It deserves our attention and our activism full stop. And I want to zoom out a little bit because we are in a moment in our city that I believe is asking us to think broadly about the Torah's warning, to look honestly at an economic context that devalues labor, that disregards the dignity of workers and dismisses the right of laborers to live with decency and security. This summer, we've become a city of picket lines, with more than 100,000 workers out on strike, including many of you here today. Though the particulars of each strike might differ, Screenwriters, actors, hotel employees, sanitation workers, and city staffers are unified in demanding greater respect from their employers and the right to a livelihood that affords them and their families dignity. At its core, the warning of Oshek emerges from the dangerous gap between the power of the employer and the worker a gap that in many industries is growing at a frightening speed. Do not oppress the hired laborer is increasingly urgent as we witness the consolidation of power at the very top, illustrated in part by the extreme disparities in income distribution. OSHEC gives language to the unilateral capability of the employer to deny the worker basic rights with devastating consequences to the workers' pursuit of making a living, accessing health care, and affording housing. I read a story about Irene Andrade, a 53-year-old housekeeper who's worked at a hotel by the airport for 17 years. But in the last year, she's had to relocate from nearby Inglewood to San Bernardino County because she can't afford her rent anymore a central issue of the city staffers' strike as well. Irene now spends four hours on the road commuting to and from work because her current salary makes a dignified life unsustainable, which is why her union is demanding not only higher wages, but an affordable housing fund for hospitality workers so that getting to work in the morning and home in the evening doesn't mean never seeing your children. As the film and television industry rapidly shifts, writers are striking for some semblance of security in a landscape that increasingly tells you to do more for less, to take it or leave it for whatever short amount of time they'll pay you, and to accept that the last meaningful paycheck you'll receive has nothing to do with how many times your show is streamed. You are the storytellers and you deserve not to be cut out of the story while the profits of those at the top soar to new heights. 
My friends, I'm only scratching the surface of what the particular demands of these unions are, but I hope it's sufficient to communicate clearly that any economic system that permits those with disproportionate power to forget, distort, or negate the humanity of its workers is in need of resistance. And as the Torah says, when the worker cries out because their wages have been withheld and they don't know what will come of them, it's our responsibility to cry out with them. This is a moment for solidarity. A moment to remember that while, of course, there are real differences of privilege and compensation amongst the many different kinds of workers in this country. We, the vast majority, are bound together by the shared identity of worker. And we are called to stand together for the shared dream that our work will enable a dignified future. And so as one small step towards this vision, I want to invite you to join Armenian Sedek team and our partner organization, Clergy and Lady United for Economic Justice, to stand in solidarity with striking writers, actors, and hotel workers this Tuesday morning at Sony Studios. May the power of our collective write a new ending to this story. Shabbat Shalom. It's Rabbi Brass again. Thank you so much for listening. Want more content like this? I hope you'll subscribe. And please consider making a contribution to Ikar so we can continue to work toward the fulfillment of our mission, to reanimate Jewish life, to embody moral courage, to nurture the spirit, and to work to decipher what it means to be a human being in the world today. Visit our website at ikar.org. That's I-K-A-R.org. And I hope to see you, maybe even in person, sometime soon.